Meow. The Agora podcast is covered under the Bibcot no-gov license. That means the reuse and reproduction is authorized by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at bibcot.org. Right, welcome to the Agora Podcast. My name is Penguin, your usual host, uh, broadcasting from coastal Virginia, and joined from the homestead by our usual co-host, Zach Magora. Uh, as, as usual, it's your home for agorism, localism, radical decentralization, and anti-authoritarian concepts. Um, we're joined by a very special guest, as always today, except I guess we don't have a guest. But we do have a very special guest. Uh, Sek, why don't you introduce um, Dharma? So today I'm introducing Dharma. Um, she is founder of the Road to Autonomy magazine and also co-host of the uh, Road to Autonomy radio. And she's also a friend of my ladies. So that gets her bonus points. Uh-huh. Uh, Dharma, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's nice to be here. So what did I have you? Um, Tell us a little bit about you. Oh, a little bit about me. I am a middle-aged single mom who has been an anarchist her entire life. Uh, lots of uh, lots of weird kind of upbringing. Uh, dropped out of high school, kind of never really conformed. Uh, society was always kind of one of those things that... Uh, I didn't really want to participate in. I was always kind of an outlier and uh, just uh, kind of been making my own path uh, as a loner and kind of thought maybe I would flirt with community for a while and um, started a magazine last year. So um, what? tell us about the, the Road to Autonomy magazine. What, what's, what's that all about? Yeah, so we are a monthly online free publication we come out on the 15th every month uh and we have really really great writers uh present and past uh and hope to kind of continue obtaining really really great experts in their own fields but we have a collective of really really fantastic uh experts uh people that homestead for real and and they've they've tried tricks and they've kind of learned and evolved we've got Homeschoolers, we've got um, we've got everything. We've got artists, we've got spiritual advisors, we've got fitness gurus, um, and these people that know so much about their their field, but also kind of layer liberty within their own field. And so they come and they talk about how to become more free. So how we've done is we've kind of packaged this magazine into a uh, we don't really care about where you come from or what you believe in, but we really, uh, really, really, really want to um, spread the word of freedom and educate our fellow community members 
um, and help everybody to rise because when more people succeed, we all succeed. So um, we have a very uh, open platform that is fantastic for uh, people that come from every political affiliation and zero political affiliation working together to spread the word of autonomy. Episode is brought to you by Proud Libertarian. Wear your politics on your sleeve with the great libertarian merchandise from ProudLibertarian.com. Whether you're a voluntarist, agorist, libertarian, anarchist, or any shade of freedom in between, ProudLibertarian.com has you covered, literally. They have campaign merch, as well as a ton of original content created by their design team. Be sure to check out their collection of black flags, as well as their survival gear collection, complete with knives, emergency food, and solar equipment. If you need Liberty merch, ProudLibertarian.com is your go-to place. They take Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other forms of non-fiat, including Doge. Go to ProudLibertarian.com and enter code SEK3 at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. So they are a merchandise and clothing company owned and operated by libertarians. Um, they make a lot of liberty-oriented shirts and stickers, and um, they can set you up with your own line of merchandise. Um, they've got a lot of good stuff over there, so feel free to go check them out. And like, uh, like I said, get 10% off if you enter code SEK3. Thank you. In addition to that, uh, my lady makes tinctures, and right now she is selling a chamomile tincture. Uh, it's a four-ounce bottle with a dropper. Uh, she sells that for ten dollars. Um, it's it's pretty good. I have trouble sleeping sometimes, and uh, it works as as good, if not better, than say melatonin or something along those lines. Uh, if you're interested in that, please reach out to me at uh, S-E-K-M-C-G-O-R-A on Telegram, all caps, and I can get you set up with that. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I like. I really um, honed in on when you said when um, people succeed, we all succeed. And I think that's a, there's a lot of, um, so a lot of communities uh, in kind of a stateless or anarchist context, I think you would see that's the case, which is why, you know, ideas, uh, I don't want to particularly focus on like, um, you know, communalist ideas, but I think they are kind of a reaction to the world we live in right now. And in this kind of world, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the way we live and compete with each other is like, uh, a zero sum kind of game. And, uh, a lot of people see competition in that way. And, I think that uh, I think community kind of flows naturally for us in the kind of anti-authoritarian space where like uh, cooperation and, and uh, competition and everything else kind of all flow together. When you when you have a when you're when you're not vying for some kind of you know state authority or privilege over others, and you have to be able to realize that now that. When a community and when networks of people succeed, we all really do succeed. So, you know, I think a lot of people that kind of can are in that, like you said, in that anti-authoritarian space from different kind of political 
groupings to no like real affiliations or strong like ideal ideological leanings other than i guess you know autonomy and self-sufficiency and probably like a general anti-authoritarian idea so i really like that i think we need to have a lot more focus on um on cooperation in the here and now not in some kind of theoretical world but like in the here and now because for a long time i think you've had a lot of focus on this kind of radical individualism that doesn't really emphasize uh you know networking and, and community and, and that's vital absolutely vital um going forward so it, I'm, I'm glad you have such a, like a wide community and, and a wide network of people that you're bringing together i think it's absolutely necessary to diversify i mean if you if you hear money people people that uh trade money, people that trade Bitcoin, people that trade Bitcoin cash. When you see how people talk about you should diversify your portfolio, you know, back in the day when people had 401ks and and maybe people had, I don't know, retirement pensions or whatever, uh, their, their pension often was diversified. They didn't put all of their eggs in one basket, so to speak. I think it's careless, in my opinion, to put all of your eggs in, in just being an anarchist. You know, I'm only going to find anarchist people. Well, great, but in a community, not everyone shares your ideals. You're shopping next door or you're shopping elbow to elbow with someone that's probably wearing seven masks, uh, like uh, gloves and a face shield, and she or he does not agree with you on most things. But that doesn't make he or she invaluable to your community. And, and I think we get lost in, we're so starved for community. We're so starved for people that don't shit on us. You know, anarchists, we get, we get like poo-pooed a lot. And we get that tunnel vision. I think from tunnel vision, we often get uh, like an echo chamber. And if you think about a real world scenario, if you think about trading and if you think about bartering and if you think about, you know, just even early man and how early um, settlers and how early tribes would, would trade and barter with each other. Obviously, there are going to be people that you really don't want to do business with. That's okay, you know. But for the most part, you're going to have to eventually do business with that tribe that you'd rather not because maybe... They have salt and fuck man salt is unnecessary when you're eating and i'm not necessarily saying that we're coming down to that again but we really need to think about how to turn real life theory into like a praxis how do we really become anarchists living in our real community we're gonna have to work with people that we don't see eye to eye with like that's just a necessary yeah, voluntary free trade happens in, in, in any context. Um, I mean, it's not just early man, but just 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 a spontaneous kind of trading. Like it could be kids in kindergarten trading. You know what I mean? Uh, from what's in their lunch boxes to people in prison, to people in the Soviet Union where they weren't supposed to be trading on the black market. They would just naturally do it. Even in, 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 in all sorts of um, examples under communism. Or you know the, the state communist governments uh, of people spontaneously engaging in trade—it's something that becomes natural to us, and it it 
allows it allows people to come together that have that are from very different uh, backgrounds and um, without having to fully trust each other and fully agree with each other and come in into a situation for mutual benefit. And I think that's that's amazing. So it's amazing what trade can it's amazing where trade pops up, even when it's not, uh, you know, endorsed by any sort of authority. And it's amazing how trade brings people together that are very, very different. Absolutely. So, well, it's something I've said is uh, um, it doesn't necessarily matter what one's politics are. It matters whether or not they're an asshole. So there's lots of people. There's lots of people that have probably the exact same politics I do that I wouldn't want to associate with at all. And then there's people that um, probably have very different politics than my own. And they we could get along just fine just because they're a decent human. And um, I think you're right. And I think you're on to something that um, I we do need to step out of sort of anarchist bubbles and um, associate with people that we may or may not agree with on a lot of things and, it, and it's not necessary that we do to kind of cooperate on certain things or for trade or um, helping each other out or um, you know installing gardens or whatever we're doing helping our neighbors um, you know we we are in the the vast vast minority of opinion um, as anarchists so to to only associate with other anarchists would be very very difficult as a strategy um so if we, we can happens, though. i mean sorry to interrupt but i mean if you look on facebook we see we see these people forming like pillow forts around just anarchists yeah. we see these people that are that are like isolating themselves from the real world and and i find that to be like I understand, like, it's, it's feast from, you know, it's famine to feast, you know, like, you're looking for other anarchists because you're so tired of being alone, and then you find them, and then you just, that's all you see. And I just, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's where it is either. It's, it's also not accomplishing anything. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, you're just, these people are perpetually online and just building little echo chambers for themselves with you know um, <clears throat> with no they're not going out into the real world at all and i think that is i, I agree with you i think that is detrimental to all of us really yeah because um, there can be no community building there can be no uh building of some sort of alternative society or our uh, individual autonomy if we're all just stuck in our own little corners of the internet um you know debating about speculation about what some far off utopian society might look like or or this or that um things that don't really i mean they're i'm not saying that theory is not important but they don't really matter so much as actually um getting shit done and uh i i think that's i think that we we um i think that's where everybody needs to go i think it would be beneficial anyway if we moved away from discussing theory online with people who more or less agree with us exactly and um, actually build local communities and that's what we've been yelling about on this podcast for a while but um 
so tell us more about what what um, can some what would somebody find um, that relates to what we're talking about on your uh, newsletter. So we're we're talking about you know building relationships with people that don't necessarily agree with us for practical reasons. So uh, how does your newsletter pertain to that? I have I, I'm very proud and happy to say that I have people working together to create a a centrally themed monthly organized magazine. So I have statists writing for me. I have um, like collectivists slash uh, socialists writing for me. Uh, and I have statists, socialists, and anarchists alike that read our magazine. We we frame, I think, I think, here's, 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 you know, okay, so let me break it down. I think um, we all learn at a different way. Some are visual, some are audio, some are textile learners. And I think we also can frame what we teach in a way that's non-threatening, that's in a way that's non-coercive, right? Because that's, that's what we all get off on, like non-coercion, like, no. So I think when we bring these people that have really great information on homesteading, or for instance, I had a really great writer that came and educated everybody on, on the difference between heirloom seeds versus um, non-GMO type seeds. And she, she wrote this extensive article comparing the two and contrasting the two and telling you where you can shop for both and, and the pros and cons of both. She was a total statist. But again, she also believed that if we all survive, she will have a better chance of surviving too. So I think when we bring this information to people and we don't say, only anarchists should do this, or only people that hate the government should do this. We actually frame it in a way that says, hey, heart disease is real. Fresh fruits and vegetables is a thing. Here's how you can do it for less than 20 bucks. And when someone says, well, I don't have, or I'm not, or I whatever, we can say, hey, here are these people that have done it. Here are these people that can provide tips and tricks on it. And here are these people that don't give a shit about what you believe or where you come from or what you're going to do with it. But grow a tomato. Like, feel how powerful you are when you get to harvest that tomato for a BLT or for an omelet or whatever. It's really freaking amazing. And maybe, just maybe, they get so much pride from growing a tomato that they open up our pages again and they say, oh, wow, there's a foraging guide in here. Oh, look, I take hikes every once in a while. Oh, look, I had no idea that cattail was edible. Oh, wow, here's instructions on how I can harvest it and how I can prepare it. Again, there's no there's no alternative, or excuse me, there's no ulterior motive here. There's not like join us, like we're some cult. No, it's we bring experts in their field, whoever they are, whether they're Bitcoin enthusiasts, whether they're homesteaders, whether they're homeschoolers, we bring their voice to one platform, welcome to anyone and everyone, no matter what, for them to learn, for them to educate, for them to explore. And from there, it's our hope that they keep going, 
that they keep exploring, that they keep trying new things, that they keep becoming inspired. And gosh, freedom, when you break it down, it's really obtainable. Well, I think um, that everyone wants uh, some level of freedom. So any ideal, any ideology, almost really any ideology can be framed, maybe a stretch, but can be framed as a sort of freedom because people want to be freed from the whatever, ba- whatever binds them. But like to, you know, anarchism and, and stuff like that, that's a little more beyond just saying a vague freedom. It, it, it means that you're not you don't have this kind of uh, un um, non-voluntary, you know, of uh, way of life, you know, imposed on you. So how do you explain to someone how uh, growing your own tomatoes and cucumbers and um, not only growing them, but um, trading with them in, in an unrestricted way and, uh, not only the autonomy of that, but the uh, doing it at a at the cost of pennies for you know planting a bunch of uh, vegetables. How how does that relate to like anarchist theory? And it directly does, and that's the thing. It directly does, but that's also some something that people can understand almost on a on a basic level, and in some sense on a primal level, in the sense of it being food. So um, we need to kind of focus more on that. Unless on, you know, this book or that author or this um, kind of theory debates. And because ultimately it all comes down to this kind of like bread and butter to me, food, um, land, just basic stuff like that. And anything else just kind of gets in the way with that, in my opinion. We, we really don't talk too much about politics in the magazine. We really keep it fact-based, things that people can use right now today. So uh, we do have, we not to say that we don't have um, fiction, we do have fiction. The fiction is relevant though, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we're not really preaching our political or lack thereof ideology. We're in a sense, We're in a sense trying to inspire a culture of doers. And what I mean by that is if you're just some regular guy who believes the media, watches the news, whatever, picks up, you know, magazine or happens to see my magazine online, decides to start a garden, Decides to plant zucchini, we'll say, because everyone seems to plant zucchini and everyone is always stunned when they're, when they're gifted like 400 zucchini per plant per season. And, uh, you know, and so when this guy is like, what the hell am I going to do with these 400 fucking zucchini, right? So maybe he's like, well, according to this magazine, maybe my neighbor does tomatoes or something. Maybe I can make a ratatouille. So maybe he goes next door, which he probably would never have done before, but he goes next door to offload part of his 400 zucchini that he's harvested. Maybe Susie Lou Who next door uh, 
does do tomatoes, and she planted the wrong kind of tomato, so she's got 7,000 cherry tomatoes, and she only wanted, like, 10 hothouse. So she's like, what the fuck am I going to do with 4,000 cherry tomatoes until, you know, Bob the Builder walks by, and, like, he's like, hey, I've got 15 zucchini, I'll trade you some tomatoes. Maybe, just maybe, that ripple effect keeps going. You know, that, that uh, kindness, pay it forward promotion shit that happened in the 80s and 90s well maybe and there's a lot of maybes here because i have no idea just like i have no idea but maybe that will inspire both of those neighbors to do something else that is black market or gray market that inspires them to start questioning their system that inspires them to say well wait a minute, how come I can't do this all the time? How come I can't open a roadside fruit stand? How come I can't just barter with people all the time and never have to the grocery store? And that is what I'm hoping happens, is that they keep exploring this, this vague idea of freedom. And I say vague because we're not actually... Uh, taught what freedom is in in the system. If you grew up in the system, indoctrinated, you have no idea what freedom is. You kind of are sold this weird American dream of like house, 2.5 kids, picket fence. And so you kind of base your life around that. But when you start exploring what freedom actually is and what freedom represents, fuck that American dream, there's something bigger out there. And if we can inspire more people to seek out the bigger, then not to sound like a selfish ass, but my barter network increases tenfold. Now I've got 400 zucchini I can barter with. I've got a ton of cherry tomatoes because these people still don't agree with me. They're still not anarchists. But um, I don't know. Like I grow microgreens. Let's fucking trade, man. Yeah, exactly. It's so it's people doing pretty basic things. And then maybe some of us know like, oh, these are the roadblocks you'll face if you do X. These are the roadblocks you'll face if you do Y. But like when, it, when people actually kind of confront them ba based on their actual experience, even if they don't actually get, you know, arrested for uh, uh, having a lemonade stand or something. But let's just say like, OK you can kind of see the practical effects of like government uh, laws and regulation based on like, what would stop me from doing X, Y, Z. And that's, that's, that's exactly it because that's exactly what we want to be able to do is to, is to take our kind of our economic decisions, not just as, as consumers, um, which, yeah, we have a lot of things we can do as consumers to promote this too. But as how do we take our lives as like, as, as producers and even investors into our own hands, into our own hands. And um, really wh who's trying to stop us? And this is less important. Why? But less important, most important is, is, is who's trying to uh, stop us to regulate that. And what can we do to get around it? Because ultimately, it, you know, the state's network of uh, control societal regulation only works when the vast majority of people follow it voluntarily. <laughs> people are doing stuff, but when people are doing stuff like growing, you know, tomatoes in their backyard, 
that's not something that can be regulated on a very, that's not something that can be enforced on, on, a, on a large scale. It just can't. So yeah, I think that's a great way, that's long, long roundabout way of saying, I think that's a great thing to be promoting um, from just from the standpoint of A, relating to more people, but also because once you do, let's say you do grow your network uh, tenfold or just, just raise awareness and get people out there doing these things. It's like, you, you know, people enter this kind of gray and black market environment that that can't be enforced. That can't be kind of clamped down on nearly as much. Like Sec always quotes um, Star Wars, the, the, the um, tighter they grasp, the more um, star systems slip to their fingers. But really, that's, that's, that's really accurate. Um, I would agree with that. So. so I think food production is a great place to start. And politics, <laughs> politics aside, um, the more people that are um, individually and um, locally autonomous in terms of, well, in terms of everything, but specifically food production, um, that benefits, uh, that's a win-win all around. So that benefits them, them in the short term because they're, you know, they're growing their own food. They're getting nice, fresh veggies and, um, you know, they know where their food comes from and it's also a fun hobby. That also benefits me. The more people that are um, removing themselves from the sort of the corporate agricultural system and the American dream and the, the you know, the, the society and the corporate structure, um, the more options I have. So now I have more people that are sort of locally and individually autonomous that I can now network with or, um, you know, barter with or that sort of thing. And also it's, it's just uh, in the long, long term, it's less support for the overall system. So yeah. politics is almost unnecessary in this equation. Um, it's, we have completely circumvented politics altogether by going straight to a, uh, uh, straight to food security to where everybody likes food. Most, most people like fresh food. It's something we can all agree on. Can we all start growing our own food? And I don't think, regardless of people's politics, I think most people are un, unsatisfied with our current uh, food system, especially Absolutely. in this country. So regardless of their politics, that's a great place to start um, because everyone is dissatisfied with that. So if we can start there and build from there, that's benefiting literally all of us. It's benefiting everyone if more people can... Uh, become more individually autonomous in their food and also hopefully other things as well. But um, food has always been a big one for me. Um, so I, 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 I'm right there with you. I agree with what you're saying. And I think it's a, um, it's beneficial and it's also a, a very good strategy. Um, not necessarily to treat, achieve um, some sort of end goal of a stateless society, but to achieve better, conditions and more freedom in our current paradigm? I, I think so. Okay. I know at least one of you can appreciate being a lifelong anarchist here. So when you grow up kind of as an outlier from society, either you have really great parents or you're really shitty parents, 
uh, tends to be those two extremes uh, that are lifelong anarchists. I'm sure there's probably middle ground too, but uh, when you see these people wake up, and you know, we all kind of we all kind of watch the uh, process, right? Of like uh, that 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 step. First, you're like in denial, and then you're angry, and then and then you're you know you question everything, and then then you start kind of getting in the community mindset, and then you kind of start relinquishing that maybe you don't know everything about freedom just because you read a couple of anarchist type books. And then maybe you can actually start working with people that, that are statists. So you see that kind of that, that progression of like waking up, right? And we really, so we cater to everybody, right? We, we cater to cater to every ability and skill level we cater to every ideology because you're exactly right. Everybody eats. What else does everybody else do? You know, we have articles that that are relevant for people's lives no matter what. If people have kids, hey man, you're talking education. You're you're just you're either talking homeschool or indoctrination. And we bring these ideas for every skill level. We've got fiction that kind of that's you know, like an anarchist talking to a statist and kind of a script type thing. Um, we've got uh, on the road chronicles or um, on the road, um, life on the road, excuse me, um, Silas's um, piece about living in a van on the road. And so if you're already a established anarchist that's no longer in theory, but in praxis, his kind of what happened to me type story He's learned a lot through living in his van. I'm sure people that are in their field learn a lot by doing the thing. So no matter what skill level you're at, whether you're still in the beginning, I don't want to send my kids to one of those crazy schools right now in COVID, or all you, one of those people that's established and you're looking to maybe, what can I do with all this anarchist know-how? We bring it all on this one platform because we know Whatever stage you are in waking up, you're welcome here. And we know that not everyone makes it, but generally those people aren't even looking at, our, at the pages of our magazine. So if you are left wanting more from a system that you're starting to realize doesn't give a shit about you, come get on the road with us and we can show you how easy it is to kind of detach yourself from the teeth of our handsy Uncle Sam and start taking back our control, start taking back our our uh, ability to raise our own children, to, to reaffirm that the family is important and that everybody has a role in this community. And we just need to start taking that power back. And I think being a lifelong anarchist, you see these, these patterns that people put themselves in. And you think, how can we be a gentle hand? We don't want to coerce anybody into our ideology because that's, that's being no better than them. But how do we gently guide or educate and I think we just have to bring it as a non-threatening, as an informative guide to how easy it is 
and hopefully that facilitates waking up. So for me, it became far less important than that anyone agrees with me. And for several reasons, number one, I don't think anyone, like if everyone started agreeing, all, you know, everyone agreed on some same thing, that would start making me nervous. Oh, yeah. Everyone started thinking the same thing. And I sort of value different people thinking different things. You know, that's kind of how, that's kind of like a, a beautiful part about it. humanity is, you know, everybody's got their own sort of, uh, you know, perspectives and ideals and, you know, um, that's how things uh, progress and, and um, you know, the, um, you know, new innovation happens and, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of like all of these different choices. I like different options, you know, so I, I for a long time ago, stopped trying to get to convince anybody of um, sort of my specific ideas. And it was more important that someone could just be a decent human being. Um, you know, uh, regardless of what their politics were, if you can be a, a decent human, then we can have a conversation or an, an interaction or that sort of thing. And um, that kind of goes to what you were saying is, you know, when you're early on, you're, you're thinking about, you know, proselytizing your ideas almost as like a religion. And you want yeah. everybody to sort of come over to your side. But um, that becomes less important the more you go on, um, you know, it becomes less about being a Jehovah Witness and more about being, you know, Carl Hess building a homestead out in the, the middle of nowhere, you know. So it, yeah, um, it's finding it's finding um, connections with. You did it, you mentioned Carl Hess. I know yeah. it's a drinking game at this point. I mention him every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it, it's just. Um, now I lost my train of thought, but uh, no, it, it's just finding people who can um, you can at least get along with, <laughs> you know, and um, and doing what you can to improve and build um, yourself up and other people around you and your in your community. And it's not it's less relevant that people absolutely agree with you on um on, on politics and it's even less relevant that people agree with you on politics of some far off society that I might not even see in my lifetime. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's like speculation upon, uh, you know, prediction upon whatever it just become, it seems like a futile effort after a while or not futile. It seems like a, a wasteful, uh, effort after a while to like spend all this time speculating about and arguing about, um, you know, some fantasy world that, that doesn't exist yet. And, um, you know, I'll take, I'll, I'll take somebody that can be, uh, a decent human and, um, with vastly different politics and we can go plant some food. Like that's fine by me. You know what I mean? Um, I, I spent a lot of time doing that, um, with people who had vastly different politics than me. And we planted a, a, a lot of food and um, it was a fun time. And honestly, if you get out into the real world, everybody kind of just gets along and you know, you eat some fresh food and have a good time. And it's, it's totally fine. It's, it's only in, it's only on this, what we're talking about, like kind of only exists on the internet. Mostly this, um, 
you know, this endless arguing and talking about theory and this like sort of proselytizing that only really happens on the internet. You like go out into the world, <laughs> the real world, and you actually start like building relationships around, you know, certain things, shared interests, whether that's food or bicycles, whatever, whatever your, you know, your community interest is there. There's less of that sort of, you know, uh, stuck in theory mode that just doesn't, it doesn't really translate to the real world at all. Um, well, I have to say in my neck of the woods, it, it kind of does, but, but it's generally the Republicans that, that, that toss their ideology kind of out so carelessly without really leaving a room. At least that, that's in my community. We, we have a lot, you know, we're, we're big, we're big Republican state and uh, everybody's pissed off about Trump out here, right? So past like year, everybody's been like mad at the world. And so you see a little bit about that, but, but, but if you can be a good example, people kind of figure out how to be a person pretty quickly. Yeah, um, I'm glad that Carl House Carl has did get brought up because um, he, you know, he famously wrote the article "The Death of Politics," and really, politics is largely irrelevant, I think, for the project that we're all working on. Like when I when I see people try to relate to, you know, specific hot button issues in politics or like overlap with what the, what's what's in the news, the mainstream or the alternative press, whatever. It's like that's largely irrelevant from what we're trying to accomplish. We're ta we're talking about pretty fundamental stuff, which is why we're radicals. And and you know this politics is jockeying for power, this outrage and this activism over these uh, specific issues, just on the margins, just on the margins of what's good. We're not worried about. We're not talking about on the margins. We're talking about food production. We're talking about like land land ownership we're talking about like the means of exchange like currency and money and stuff we're talking about like pretty fundamental stuff and so um i think as long as people are kind of tr trying to have this outrage culture of what's going on on the margins whether it's the you know the trumpers that like you're talking about dharma or, wh or whoever or the people that are upset over the uh the well this this ab abortion law in texas goes too far well look you might not like that. that that might be how you feel but we're like we're not trying to do anything on the margins here we're trying and, and because we're not trying to do anything on the margins not only is no kind of like activism in political spaces relevant for us but it drives us into going underground whether it's gray market or black market activity and you certainly don't have to be libertarian libertarian anarchist anarchist type person to to go into the black market and gray market at all that's kind of really was um really pretty fundamental to to agorism is that you just that just has to be in your self-interest and if if all your if you're fundamentally talking about people and their self-interest and communities and their interest but largely individuals affect people and their self-interest that brings in a lot more people than the people who agree with me on these these issues these these like hot button issues that people are arguing over on twitter and in, on the news channels so I, I absolutely do absolutely do think we should be post-political and so i i really i'm really interested in your focus on, on 
on praxis. And yeah, I, I, I wish you, I hope you bring in so many more people and, 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 and you know, um, be a shining example of that kind of, um, that kind of, of, of way of being. I think that's all we can do, right? Is, is we can lead by example. Uh, the time for talking is over. I've been saying that for years, honest to God, from like the age of 18, I was already tired of listening to people talk. Everyone has the answer. Well, then why is shit still fucking broken? Uh, everyone is right. Well, then why is there so much shit happening? Or, you know, like I was just like, I'm so fucking tired of listening to people talk. I'm so sick and tired of everybody that, that claimed to have the answer for, for anything. Everyone just became like snake oil salesmen. Just, just everybody, just everybody would open up their trench jacket and just have tons of fucking watches in the inside. I'm just fucking over it. So I just, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Not that I ever really participated anyway, but I'm really done. And if, and that I kind of got frustrated with community, but it was just, community to me when I first dipped my toe in it a year and a half ago was gross. Like there was just infighting. It was, meh, I'm right. You're wrong. Let's, let's talk about private property. Meh, let's fight about whose author was best. I, I just fucking don't care. But what I do care about is showing people how easy freedom is. I've been doing this my whole life. I've been living on the outskirts of society my entire life. And yeah, life does tend to get hard when you're a festivator since 2008. And life, yeah, does kind of get pretty difficult when you don't qualify for a lot of socialist type programs uh, that uh, if you're struggling, you know, life can be difficult, but life can be amazing when you know that you've made it to 40, 100% on your fucking own. No handouts. No, no, just a little bit till I get back on my feet, just 100% you. And you learn things, and you learn how to take your power back early. And why not educate everyone else that didn't get those kind of life street lessons that you got? So the time for talk is over. I want to lead by example. I am a 40-year-old woman. Uh, a single mom who gets along great with her co-parent, who has a really amazing kid that's homeschooled. And I want to show you that life is definitely not perfect. Uh, but when you learn a few things, you're inspired to take that freedom back. Then when the system collapses, you just got a regular life ahead of you. There's just another regular day because you're not dependent on a system that's really on shaky ground. So um, I really don't talk politics. Um, I really don't discuss them much um, in company. I don't have to. Um, I'm in a co-parenting uh, or like a, a homeschooling co-op that I that I set up that I helped organize. And there's people of every political affiliation in that group. We don't talk politics. There's a lot of statists, pretty much all statists in the group. But again, like they're bartering now. 
they're bartering fruits and vegetables now. They're um, incorporating some really cool history into their own curriculums because they were inspired with, with my kiddo. Uh, we don't have to talk politics, you know? People see how I am with my kid. People see how my kid reacts when I'm not around. Um, and it speaks for itself. And I'm really, I'm welcoming to every person, no matter what you believe in. I just want to teach you a few things. And um, I think deep down inside, we want to learn cool stuff. I've not met anyone that's turned their nose at up at learning something new. And I've got a lot to teach. Yeah, so I, I often wonder myself, whether how much of my interests relate to my beliefs or whether my beliefs sort of um, just back up the things I like doing already. So what I mean by that is like, it's fun, at least for me to garden and like build stuff and try to make something out of nothing or learn something, some new skill. That's always something that's been fun for me. So now, I wonder how much of like I, I just created politics around things I find fun already anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you're absolutely right. I think everybody and it's going to be a little different for everybody, but everybody kind of likes learning something new and cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether what, whatever that is, that thing is for them, you know, it might not be gardening or, or you know, homesteading, but, you know, somebody gets into rebuilding old bicycles or whatever the thing is, they just, I, there's a natural excitement and enjoyment that I think most people get from that. And exactly. if you kind of turn in, uh, if you kind of tap into that, um, it can go a long way. And um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned homeschool a couple of times. What, if, if somebody was interested in pulling their um, kid out of public school, um, do you have any tips for them? Like, uh, what what sort of uh, what have you learned, or resources would you pass along with somebody trying to get into that? Oh yeah, so I highly encourage anyone and everyone to pull their kid out of uh, school. I absolutely do. Um, and some tips: it's really going to vary state to state. State um, there are different um, there are different uh, things that you kind of have to do to homeschool. Uh, Colorado, which where I am now currently, um, we just have to send a letter of intent, you know, just saying, hey, we're going to homeschool our kid. Uh, and uh, you just send that to the district. Um, they, um, they request that you send them every other year kind of progress reports. Um, Virginia is a little bit different than New York. Um, some states are a little bit harder to navigate when it's trying to homeschool. So really, some of the best resources I've gotten are from homeschooling groups on Facebook. Some of those people, um, and you know, just about every state and community has a homeschooling type resource. Uh, also, meetup.com is a really great resource for homeschooling parents to uh, meet up, have playdates, have um, regular um, interactions with their kids. Uh, and from there, you can even create a co-op, which we kind of did a co-op on our own, just you know, we just knew, you know, our kids enjoyed playing with each other. We were kind of neighbors for a while. Um, so I would start with Facebook um, to see if there are any groups. If you really kind of don't find anything on Facebook, 
Um, Googling homeschooling is great just to kind of figure out how to kind of uh, navigate your state's uh, horrible system. Once you figure that out, though, uh, and you transition to homeschooling or unschooling, whatever it may be, uh, you will find um, for a couple of months, your kid is going to be in like shell shock. You probably will be too. And what I mean by that is there's, there's a kind of a deprogramming time that has to happen. If you're transitioning from an in-school institution to a homeschool or an unschool type environment, your kid is kind of going to be like, I don't really know what to do. Like, should I kind of do the same stuff that I did in school? And so there's going to be that transitional period where your kid may act out. Your kid may uh, feel like they're out of control. If, if there's no like routine, kids kind of thrive on routine often. Um, and so if that happens, you just have to kind of breathe and be patient and know that that deprogramming is a real thing. Don't be discouraged. Uh, it's not a sign that you made a bad decision. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you've been in prison for like a, a five to ten year term and you get out for good behavior, there's going to be a transitional period where you've got freedom, but you've never had it before. And is it a trap? And is it safe? And... So be patient with that time with both you and your child. Uh, and quite frankly, talk to your kid. Get to know them. So many parents that send their kids to school have no idea who their parents or who their children are. They know maybe their favorite color and their maybe their favorite food, but they have no idea what shows they're watching or talking about on the playground or what, what type of culture they're into or what type of music they secretly listen to. And so take the time to get to know your kid, find out the needs, find out their interests, find out what 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 gets them excited. And don't poo-poo what gets them excited. You know, like if your kid wants to fucking go to school on how to put makeup on, don't discourage them. Uh, support their passion no matter what it looks like because just because you yourself don't see a future in that doesn't mean there's not one. Give your kids some credit to make his or her own path and there's going to be a certain level of deprogramming that comes for the parents as well as the kids because the parents again they have those social constraints where they're they're supposed to do this or they're supposed to do that and if they don't then they're bad parents or they're neglectful all of that is bullshit find a support community for you the parents as well as a community for your kids to, to still play with and engage with kids and you can do that at parks playgrounds you'd be surprised how many homeschoolers you find on the playground and before you poo poo that all they do is play their kid probably tests four times better than the institutionalized kid. So be patient with the process. It's okay if it doesn't look like anything that it's supposed to look like, or it's okay if you're the only one in the family that's trying this. And it's okay if your spouse is like, I don't know, I think we're not capable of doing this because you can. People have been raising their own children for centuries. And uh, 
you don't have to come from a life of privilege. You don't have to come from my husband doesn't make enough, so we both have to work. I'm a single parent. If you think I have the privilege to homeschool because I make so much money that I don't go anywhere, you're crazy. I work my ass off. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a network of support. And that's not saying that I have something that anyone else doesn't have access to. You just have to go out and you have to find it. You have to make it yourself. But you can do it and I support it. And yeah. <clears throat> so I, yeah, I I'm network support's pretty good. Because yeah, I, I just want to just quickly butt in and say, and the network support is good because I think that's something that people from all over of all kind of different politics recognize is like something that we're missing. And, uh, and a lot of people might even hate each other, but something that we're missing that they want to get back. And people, of course, are going to disagree about how we get there, but like we can't really function except really as just cogs in this, in this, you know, really difficult to navigate machine unless we can reclaim the, the idea of having um, community and networks, whether they're kin-based or kinship-based or they're ideological or they're just your local, local, you know, geographical. Yeah, so that, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that's really super important, uh, especially since we push kind of a localism and, and ideas of community as well as individuals. Yes, yes. And through a couple of those groups, we ourselves found three or four different co-ops that we joined. And I mean, we, we have amazing stuff. So we go on nature hikes with one co-op that, that like digs for dinosaur bones like every so often. So we totally joined their co-op. Then we have another co-op that we join that does like history type living museum type trips. So yeah, we're doing that one too. So, so the freedom of it is as what you make of it. And sometimes if we don't have that community, we have no idea the amount of cool stuff that's just out there. Just It's just out there, man. And and that community often can kind of uh, broaden your, your horizons and, and help you see so much. I mean, there's a ton of resources out there for kids. So carpe diem, folks. Yeah, I totally agree. And I also appreciate that you said, uh, so sometimes the uh, a kid might get into something or be interested in something that uh, many parents might not see as valuable or some sort of marketable skill. So number one, kids change their mind, you know, a lot. But number two, so they might not even be interested in that a year from now. But number two, even if, like you mentioned, doing makeup or whatever the thing, um, I think people would be surprised just how much kids learn from doing certain activities, even if that activity itself might not pan out to be some sort of marketable skill. Absolutely. So, right. So they, they might be in makeup or or, um, or building dolls or, or whatever the thing is, reptiles. But while they're learning about all that thing, they're picking up on a lot of other things that sort of relate to that, that are marketable skills that yeah. will be valuable in the future. So like they're picking up on, you know, a little bit of math here and there or how to read better or I need to follow instructions so I can do the makeup in this certain way or how to, you know, how to decipher information that they're, they're, they're learning. 
to so they can do the thing that they want to do. So just because you know uh, they're they're learning um, something that you don't find valuable in a sense, like uh, in a monetary sense, um, doesn't necessarily mean they aren't learning learning other related skills that are um, valuable in a um, you know sort of a long term monetary sense. I just wanted to point that out there. I, I think that's something that. Um, even some homeschoolers don't really kind of grasp. So to give you an example, like my stepdaughter's super into reptiles. She learns about reptiles all the time. So unless she wants to go like make a career out of being, um, you know, uh, some sort of reptile expert or park ranger, there's not exactly a ton of, um, you know, that's not a, a, exactly a crazy per career path, right? But meanwhile, she's learning about genetics and math and how to read and like all sorts of like interesting con uh, uh, material that, you know, it, it re is related, but will be very, very useful in the long term. So I think that kind of goes with a lot of things. Kids just being interested in stuff, they're going to pick up on a lot of um, what we think of as like core material, core subjects. They're going to pick up on a lot of that along the way just from being interested in that, whatever the thing is. Uh, but kids yeah, go ahead. Are, kids smart, and, and you're exactly yeah. right. I mean, kids know where they're deficient. And if a kid has a passion, let's say in, uh, well, my kid, for instance, she has a, she's a dinophile. She's hugely into dinosaurs, where she was. She's moved on to birds and other animals, but but she started off with dinosaurs and she learned everything about dinosaurs. She learned um, their habitat, their diet, their mating habits, how long they incubated, what type of parent they were, if they were abandoners or if they were nurturers. She learned everything about their physiology and their evolution. So then she naturally moved on to birds. So I was like, well, why, you know, like dinosaur to birds. And then she taught me everything about, you know, that chickens used to be, I don't know, a troodon or something. And so she learned everything. And so now when we're foraging, when we're doing real life right now stuff, she can pull from some of the stuff that she learned and she knows various plants have various uh, nutritional things, which is why certain dinosaurs ate certain things and others didn't. They needed that nutritional compound. That's made her a better survivalist. It's made her a better uh, uh, eco-diplomat. Uh, it's made her a better uh, 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 biologist, really. And so kids are really smart. They, they know where their deficiencies are. They know what they need to learn. And you just have to trust that they know what they're doing. Honest to God, we all have that inherent knowing of what we need to do to get the job done. But often it's bred out of us through public school where, where, you know, if you're in the system, you forget that you have a body that tells you things, that, that you have a mind, you have DNA that remembers. And I think when you trust your kid to learn what they want to learn, no matter what you think about it, quite frankly, it's not about you. It's about the kid. 
no matter what you think about it, you have to trust your kid in their knowing what they need to learn. And they will learn it. And when they do, they will move on to something else. And I think it may surprise you where they move on to because kids are really smart. You don't give them enough credit. Yeah, and kids have, um, they, they have a thirst to learn. Like, they want to learn. And it's, it, it might seem counterintuitive, but the institution of school, like, literally beats that out of kids. Like, not yeah. literally. I'm a bad, bad choice of word. But it, it, sort of, it sort of crushes that, that desire to learn and turns it into um, a very, you know, institutionalized. Uh, Resentment. Resentment, exactly right. They, they, they learned to almost dislike learning. And that's uh, part, I mean, sometimes I think that's intentional. But, um, yeah, that it takes a lot to actually, like, sort of beat the spirit out of kids. Um, and and that's, what, uh, that's what public school exists to do is, um, you know, beat that natural desire to learn and question and, and that sort of thing out of children so that they then have to look for, look to the authority figure for the answer, which would be the teacher in that, in that situation. But uh, you're right, kids, uh, they, they really just, they, they want to learn about all, everything that they can get their hands on. And you, you kind of just have to turn them loose and, and get them whatever stuff they need to do it and just let them go and they'll go. Yeah. Yeah, all that was my experience as a kid. I definitely remember that. So back to autonomy. Um, what are what are what would be your top things if somebody was like, let's say, complete normie, right? They want to become more into um, a more autonomous individual. Let's say, what are the top three things? Let's say top three. What are the top three things you think they uh, they might find value in working on uh, to become more autonomous and more separated from this particular system that we have? I think autonomy is the elephant. And how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. And autonomy to break down the top three is difficult because we're all individuals. But I would say probably right now, health. Take back your health. Good Lord. If, if someone is asking you to get a, a vaccine and you're not into it, I think that's a problem. If you want to get it, get it. You know, I, I don't care. Like my brother's got it. People get it. That's their choice. I support their choice. Support mine. Uh, so I would say health. That's a big one. Uh, if it's not for the vaccine, then it's for... Uh, whether or not you wear a mask or whether or not you're uh, paranoid versus practical. Uh, so health is a big one to remain autonomous. And I think that's really relevant the last couple of years. I think the next thing that we really need to focus on when it comes to autonomy is food. Uh, right now, whether you're satisfied with GMOs and everything else or whether you're not, the fact remains that a good portion of the United States lives in a food desert. And to educate what a food desert is, a food desert is a place that is uh, very far, like neighborhoods that are very far from 
healthy food, uh, fresh vegetables and fruits, um, things that are not canned or packaged. And a good portion of the United States, Detroit, Chicago, many parts of the urban area, live in food deserts where these people do not have access to fruits and vegetables in their markets, in their grocery stores. And I think that's, that's, that's a big problem. And so taking back your control of your food, starting a community co-op so that your kids actually eat vegetables and don't just eat the shit in the cans. So that's a big one, um, just like health. I think the last one is really, that's when everyone kind of breaks off. Is it money? Is it, um, is it education? Is it travel? Is it, uh, you know, I think the third one is really going to be super individual, but it's, it's, it's starting small. It's learning that you can still vote with your money. If you don't support what an organization does, you should have the uh, confidence to take your money elsewhere. And so remaining autonomous is so much. It's everything. It's, it's every part of our life. It's how we raise our children. It's how we eat. It's how we go to work. It's how we commute. It's how we take care of our environment. It's how we consume. It's, um, it's everything. Yeah, I would, um, if I had to pick a third, I would say it would either be water or energy production. But um, yeah. you're right. It's uh, it's largely it depends on your individual preferences and, and uh, valuation. Um, yeah, like leaving that one as a wild card. That's kind of that's kind of cool. I like There's it. There's so many different yeah. things that could be. You know, we're all different. Exactly. That's a cool concept. Cool. Um, Dharma, have you ever read Community Technology by Carl Hess? I have actually, I've never read any anarchist. I've never, I, I have no idea. I'm not the book read guy. The what now? Uh -huh. I've, I've not read any Hess. I've not read any anarchist. I've not read any economist. I, I'm not. Okay, so this is not really theory. It's, um, it'd be right up your alley. So what it is, he's got two books that are very similar. And it was a lot of ways that um, people from the bottom, sort of a bottom up situa um, situation could localize a, a production down to an individual and community level. Oh, cool. So, yeah, no, it's a real, you, you would really like, it's right up your alley. Um, so he specified an urban environment um but it doesn't have to be but um it, the idea was is that um it's actually the book relates to this whole episode that we've been doing uh, it's making change by uh teaching people how to be producers and uh autonomous uh, in regards to their food and, and everything and production and, and and energy and all that sort of thing down to the individual and community level and that being um the best method for change rather than you know like you said theory or or you know whether that's uh, political action or or revolution that he, his idea was that um sort of uh, creating people uh communities that were based around local production would be the best method 
for creating any kind of change from this system that we have now. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I think that's the only way is to uh, pick up a handful of mud, press it into a brick and start your own fucking community outside of this crazy shit we call society. Yeah, I agree. My yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally down. I think we're all on the same page on that. But um, yeah, uh, that's definitely really important. We're basically trying to take production and localize it and but take the authority the authority aspect out of it because ultimately we are anti-authoritarians in one one sense or another and to decentralize it to localize it you know less authoritarian just basically kind of repeating my intro that i do every time for the podcast because um, you know we're encouraged just to be kind of like mindless consumers. I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, consumer capitalism is bad. I mean it is, but like not in necessarily this kind of overly stereotypical sense, but more so in the sense of like, you know, yeah, we have the choice of which, you know, which cereal to pick up at the grocery store, and basic uh, consumer choices within that like framework were presented. But um, as and we have we have a choice of which company to work for, which job to go in, into yeah. for nine yeah. to five. But we but you know yeah, production is taken out of our hands and, and real control of the market, which should be a you know a, a consumer and I don't even want to say worker. It's not even the right word, but like consumer right. and producer, you know, centered market is now kind of just options handed to you down from above, and we that's. Um, that always entails kind of a, uh, a system of authority as well. So until we take back production, and I mean, we take back production in just by literally taking back production, just by literally producing, just by until we do it. that, we really can't, yeah, in, in, in the authority. You're exactly right. I think when you, you know, you can blow a status mind by, by reminding them that there were roads before income tax, right? Like, like, there were things uh, happening before government stepped in. Uh, and we, we so easily forget of all the things that, that, that were happening before government stepped in. Like, we had roads. Like, shock and awe. We, we you know, like, I think when we start uh, going back to being self-sufficient, which that's part of our tagline, uh, when we go back to being self-sufficient, government becomes no longer in the foreground, but starts to go in the background. And when nobody runs to government anymore because they need hands out or they need whatever, because they're growing their own shit, they're bartering for their own meat, you know, with their 400 zucchini. And I think these, these people start to realize that, that we are naturally going to go back to the community uh, because we're communal creatures, we're, we're tribal-based creatures, and and when we start to realize how easy it is to take back that control, take back the production, start making the choices. If your employer is telling you that you have to get a vaccine, there are other jobs out there, you know, and and I just, I just, I don't know, like for people to kind of fall down on that, just it makes me scratch my head, but, but that's my opinion and it doesn't matter. But, but you have a choice. You have power. 
don't be afraid to fucking use it. If more of us stood up, if more of us said, hey, I don't agree with that. I, I kind of believe in your body, your choice. I really kind of feel like if more people started doing that and started becoming more and more self-sufficient, government really, who gives a shit if it goes on or not? Like, that's like debating whether or not they're the god. Who gives a shit? I'm hungry now. Yeah, I think all of these problems, and this is kind of what you were saying, is I think all of these problems stem from sort of outsourcing our product, our production, whether that's to government or the corporate, you know, corporate system that we have, all of these things, the more we outsource these, the, uh, you know, whether it's health or food or transportation or education or all of it, the more we outsource these things to corporations and government, the, the more power, the less agency and autonomy we are going to have in the long run. So I think a lot of these problems, you know, you, you mentioned the vaccines and your, your employer is going to fire you because you don't want to take this vaccine or um, this sort of thing. All of that is, uh, is a symptom of what I just said. So because we have already granted these corporations so much power over our individual choices in our lives is the reason that this is happening in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the reason that you have gotten or we have gotten our, I won't say you, anyone, the reason some person has gotten themselves into a situation where they are reliant on this boss who can dictate to them what they can or can't do in their own life. The reason that situation has happened is because we as people have gave away far too much of our agency to these companies. Yeah. Because we do not have individual production. We do not have self-reliance. We do not have community anymore. All of these things are the reason that, and I'm not faulting the person who has to work for this company to put food on the table. It's a systemic problem. We as a collective have granted these companies, these corporations, yeah. these this government, we have granted it too much of our autonomy as a whole. So now this person really is screwed um, because they have to go, you know, to work for this, you know, shitty corporation at some bullshit job that, and they're going to dictate to that person what they can and can't do here, pee in this cup or fucking, did you get your jab? Or, you know, I really don't like what you said on social media or whatever the fucking thing is. It's because that company has been granted too much power by us because they are now in control of our production, which we should have um, sovereignty over. We should have our own, we should be producing, not these, these you know, mega corporations that we've granted all this power to. So the reason that situation has arose is because like, well, we just said, production is, um, is not, we, we lost control over production, which is the answer to the symptom is to bring, um, you know, uh, bring uh, control over over production once again to become producers. Yeah. Um, and and, and it, even if you still go work for a wage, that gives you a lot more leverage over your boss. You, you have more bargaining chip. If you can produce all your own food, energy, housing, clothes, health, whatever, your boss suddenly has a whole lot less power over you. 
because you worst case scenario you can tell them to go fuck themselves and you'll be okay for a while you got plenty of food at home and you've got energy and you've got your bills you know whatever the thing is you're not going to be completely screwed if you tell that boss to go fuck themselves or i'm not going to do what you tell me or i'm going to find another job you got more leeway so it would give all of us um so much more power in so many different situations if we had if we were in control of our own production sorry yeah it's just like a lot of individual anarchists said i mean that's you know in the situation of of workers is like you know it's it's real contingent on how the market's set up that uh you know workers are clamoring for jobs from the employers when the employers could be you know at the at the mercy of trying to find enough workers and then how much more power would would people have even in that economy not even talking about you know everybody's but even if the alternatives like self-employment and co-ops whatever but you, you know going off and, and doing the autonomy thing wasn't so disadvantageous in the system and there wasn't and that could prove a real like competition just working out in in the gray market and the in the self-employed world you know then employers would be desperate and would and, and the terms i mean the terms just come from basically how much employers have to concede and how much they have to pay in exchange for people like labor so you know it's in their interest to keep auto autonomy from at best having a pretty hefty cost and then just regulation and regulation and so on yeah absolutely uh absolutely i mean yeah, I agree. I agree. It's what Konkin said, like liquidate the proletariat, and he was um, he's making a little joke, but you know, if if everybody is a self-employed entrepreneur in the, the you know the the underground economy, and we we actually do take our uh, production back into our own hands, you know boss uh these corporations and you know middle managers and ceos they're gonna have much less power over individuals and so and so will the government have much less power over individuals if everyone is individually autonomous and producing for themselves and well, we not want to have a world where like those kind of people i mean let's just look at I'm speaking to just people in general do we want to have a world where like the the managerial class just has less who who really as a like likes those people as a class? You know them and bureaucrats, and cops. Right. You know we want to live in a world where those people have less power and less control over society as a group. Um, of course we would. Not that that we're doing it for that particular reason. We're doing it out of our own self interest and maybe for our communities. But like, yeah, do we really want to live in a world where de facto they have they're like partially the rulers alongside the government of our society? Yeah. No. Yeah, no one's a fan. That's the thing. That's it, it's like the it's like the machine that it just keeps on perpetuating itself. Like nobody's a fan of these. I like. I have to say that I'm like a manager. So like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're middle management. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, you're the reason I never got a corporate job. Was I? You know, I'm I'm a good diplomat, 
and no matter what role I'm in, I'm a good diplomat to being a humanitarian both on or off of the podcast, you know? So even, even in management, uh, I'm a, I'm a good, I'm a good manager. I'm a, I'm a, I really want you to succeed and I want to give you the tools to succeed. And aside from that, I really, I don't really want to mess around. I just kind of want to do my job and not have to worry if you're doing your job. I just want to know it's getting done. So I'm a, I'm a pretty decent manager. Uh, I've gotten no complaints so far. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I run. So during the day, I'm a, I'm an accountant and uh, I, I run the books for a uh, oil and gas uh, construction firm. And I'm, I'm kind of uh, mentoring uh, my boss basically she's basically one of the owners of the company and I'm kind of teaching her how to be a better accountant for her company and um, they, they they pay me to do it and I do a good job <laughs> well good well it seems to give you more freedom to do other things I guess right do you work from home I don't, but I have the option to. So I, I have I have worked from home, especially after breaking my leg. I've worked from home quite a bit. Um, I'm I'm thankful for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean the job does fund um, some activities. It, it funds obviously the magazine, but it also funds some some work that I did overseas and kind of uh, just kind of it funds a lot of activities for sure. So and it, <laughs> it, it pays really well, which. Um, I keep my costs way low so that my, my profit is high. And so, uh, you know, if it wasn't to my business partner, I would give everything away. Uh, and the same is true in my personal life, too. Um, pretty much every dollar I have, I'm, I'm putting it back into the community. The kid and I feed the homeless on the weekends. We used to. We haven't actually gotten back into that uh, since moving to Junction. But in Denver every Saturday, we would make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and go all over the parks and the alleys and, and the junkie spots. And we would pass out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, you know, every week. Uh, so every money that I, every dollar that I had, I was putting it back into a community that I had not, that I wanted nothing to do with. Uh, so I, I, I try to be a good diplomat because, again, you know, if, if my community can succeed without the goddamn government, then, Jesus, you know, maybe I won't be so isolated. I'll, I'll have a better community of people. And, and I have. It's, it's uh, So far, uh, the theory has turned out to be proven true, and I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, this, all this talk community really has me has me thinking. I, I want to kind of just shoot this by you. So um, we're in various things. We're into that like, community building and everything. And you obviously think that by like building up your community. Hey, Dharma, could you could you unmute um, your mic? I think you got a little bit of background noise. Do right I? Sorry. There. I kind of sound like wind howling. Weird. Oh, I heard that. I don't know what that was. Okay, I mean you're in, you're definitely in the community and, and building up your um, building up your neighbors because you think we think oh, that'll help us out. And I think that's kind of natural. That should be like the way the order of things, the way they ought to be, is that we help our neighbors in our community. Those are the people we trade with. Those are the people that might help you when you're in a bind, or vice versa, or buy a 
your surplus products or whatnot and them being secure in their property and and stuff is going to be beneficial for you and you being secure be beneficial to them and i think that's just like naturally how things would be and now we live we kind of live in the status world it's, it's kind of like what advantages you have are at the cost of other people or what advantages they can eke out through government are disadvantages and advantages to you private property like you have private property then this more restrictive you can make uh property and zoning this availability of property by virtue of you being a prof a, um property owner the value of your property and the potential like profitability of your property rights goes up and, and that's the same thing in a lot of things but especially in what i call business I, i'm just why i usually use business versus like you know trading or exchanging a business as like a like a majority of like when you it's like you being secure and you you prospering has to be at the expense of your neighbor when i think community without that authoritarian outside of the authoritarian paradigm is like your neighbors succeeding and you succeeding is all is it's mutual yeah absolutely i i think I think it doesn't have to be a solo sport succeeding. I think, uh, you know, like it's, it's not like I go without, you know, my kid has what she needs. Uh, I'm not, I'm not really a big consumer, but I wouldn't be anyway. You know, like I'm, I'm not really a consumer. I'm not, I don't really get off on that. I try not to use Amazon unless I absolutely have to. I try and buy it local. Um, and I think, Okay, so so I did, so there are some people that disagree with me that that think that I ought to hoard all the money for retirement and whatever, and I probably should do both, to be honest with you. But instead, I'm I'm trying to build up my community. I'm trying to I'm trying to make the gap between the real world and the government world more noticeable. I'm trying to kind of um, support. You know, and, and not because I'm a mutualist. I'm not really a mutualist. Um, but I do want to succeed or I do want to see mass success. I want to see uh, people taking their worth back and start kind of taking responsibility for, for their success. And I want to see that. So I want to encourage that in any way I can. Yeah, it's crazy that that. You wouldn't. If you live in a world where you wouldn't want to see your neighbors succeed because that, you know, that disadvantages you in some way. And I think that's a lot of the proud of the problem with a lot of the um, static we have in society and people not getting along is because people kind of view things and that often things are kind of a zero sum game. You're like, I, I went, I went at your expense and vice versa. And it's just not, and then you get a lot of like uh socialist types kind of seeing competition is the same way. So let's do away, let's do away with competition. Um, totally missing the point, you know? And, uh, but that's, that's the nature of authority and that's the nature of a state. It's always that's the, the state is that some people are going to succeed and others are going to have to be, um, you know, you, you know, held down or held in place, held in place, held in a certain position, in, in a certain kind of uh, hierarchy, so that y you know, there's there's not what's often viewed as chaos, which is just having a dynamic, you know, market-based society. So, yeah, I mean, it's all about mutual aid. It's all about trading and everybody getting 
getting better off. And just imagine, I just can't imagine not wanting to see your neighbors like succeeding and making, th making cool, cool things and buying cool things. You know, I, I can't, I don't know. I don't even understand the mindset of trying to always not only one up other people, but um, wanting to succeed at the ex expense of others. But that's not even, but most of it's not even that visible, you know? So um, I think we can all agree. I definitely recommend everybody read Community Technology and uh, Neighborhood Power uh, by um, Carl Hess as well, which I'm um, kind of into. Yeah, we need to revitalize the idea idea of communities and kind of come at it from this modern perspective. Although, you know, Hess, Hess wrote in the seventies, but a lot of what he wrote, it's just, it's just the technology is obsolete, but he still already lived in a world where kind of the old ways were gone. I mean, he's, he definitely writes from the aspect of, you know, he's reinventing. So he's, he's a lot closer to where we are than where things were pre-industrialization or whatever. Um, and it's crazy how, I think every ideology, most ideologies have a component of wanting to go back to something. We want to go back to before industrial, industrial capitalism. We want to go back before the, before the modern progressive state, or we want to go back to something. And it doesn't mean that everybody is a conservative, but you know, not every, not every uh, step in society has been like a, a step of progress and a step towards some sort of like a uh, better state. And I think there's, there's things that we can do. We can, we want to keep. There's definitely a lot about this world that we want to keep, but there's things that we want to second guess and saying, can we have these things without these few things that, that, that we don't like? So um, we're definitely using everything at our disposal from modern technology, like the internet and, well, the internet more than anything and cell phones, modern recording technology and everything. We're not primitivists, but you know what I mean? We are, we're saying, listen, maybe we made some wrong, wrong turns and we can still have all the good stuff and kind of have a little less of the bad. I think that's what's really great about building your own community. Like, I mean, if, if you liken community to your food, if you just kind of compare and, and maybe um, use one to refer to the other, but like, for instance, like a uh, chocolate chip cookie dough, when you buy it in that, like that tube, that like sausage roll of cookies, and then you like unwrap it and you bake it and whatever. And okay, they're good. Right. But have you ever looked at the ingredients? There's like 4 million ingredients and like probably 3 million and a half are ones that you can't pronounce. Um, and then when you make, cookies yourself, you make chocolate chip cookies from scratch, you realize one, that it's way easier than what you thought, uh, because you only use like six ingredients instead of like four million, and you can pronounce all six of them, which is pretty rad, uh, and they taste way freaking better. I mean, if, if you don't burn them, assuming that you bake them for the proper amount of time, but I mean, for the most part, they taste way better. And so I think real life is kind of like cookies. When you start doing things yourself, you realize, one, they're way easier than what you thought. And okay, like like shitting out a couple cookies out of a plastic sleeve, that's pretty satisfying, I'll admit. But doing it yourself, you get that rewarding, like, I did that. Like, I did that on my own. And I think... 
that's really where the cool freaking stuff is. And then we also realize that we know everything that's in it. We're not waiting for some great man to come and save us. We're not waiting for some like magic magician to do away with government. We're not waiting for someone else to help us. We're doing it ourselves. We're not waiting for Crisco to come out with the newest, latest, greatest cookie dough sleeve. We're making our own fucking cookies. And I think there's a lot of value in that. So, I mean, if, if you realize that if it's as easy as making your own cookie, how easy it is to barter your four million zucchini with your neighbor. And how easy it is to collect your own rainwater. And how easy it is to... Uh, to grow gardens instead of grow yards and, or just plain old grass. And, and there's value in, in, uh, taking your kids out of public school and teaching them at home. And there's so much value here. And there's so much promise and there's so much like endless opportunity. And it's just the beginning. And that's just, man, it gets my tail wagging. Yeah, I think a lot of what the <clears throat> a lot of what the issue is in our current society is sort of um, number one artificial scarcity. So you met, keep mentioning zucchinis. Anybody that's like grown <laughs> a couple of plants of zucchinis knows exactly what you're talking about. Where you you grow like a couple of mounds with a couple of zucchini plants in each mound, and my God, you can't. You have so much zucchini. That you are like looking for stuff to do with this zucchini. Like you're paying people to haul it off. Like it's just a ridiculous amount of zucchini. You're making breads and cookies and whatever else. It's ridiculous. So now, so extrapolate that out though. So if everyone started growing zucchini, there would be way too much fucking zucchini. So the problem is, is not enough people are, the reason that anybody's hungry is not enough people are growing food. If everybody following along with me here? So if I can grow a couple of plants of zucchini and have way more fucking zucchini than we can do any, than we know what to do with, we're handing it out. Everybody we know is sick of zucchini because yeah. there's so much fucking zucchini. So if everybody grew zucchini, there would be mountains, there would be landfills full of zucchini. You know what I'm saying? So the problem with like, not, they're not enough being, uh, not, being enough resources or people going hungry or that sort of thing is a problem problem of artificial scarcity because I know that I can go out in my tiny in a tiny little garden and grow more fucking food than I could possibly ever eat so if everybody kind of grew more of their own food and a lot of this is because of the system that we have creates this sort of scarcity mindset. If everybody could grow their own food, a, a lot of these problems would be solved because it, people wouldn't be in such a, a sort of a scarcity survival mindset because they're worried about where their food's coming from. They're worried about their next paycheck so they can put food on the table, et cetera, et cetera. If everybody was growing uh, their own zucchini or whatever it is, there would be so much of it that we would all have such abundance that we, we, we would all be much better off. People would be in a, in a less of a scarce mindset. There'd be plenty enough to go around for everybody. People would be, if everybody was growing food, people would be giving the shit away. 
Like it was, that's just how much you could produce by yourself. You would be giving it away. So I, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is sort of, um, our number one, artificial scarcity, but number two, you mentioned, um, the satisfaction of like being able to do something yourself. And I think that's a lot of the, 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 the sort of the problem with our current society is everybody's in some job where they don't see the task um, completed from beginning to end. So it's most people don't have jobs where you, um, whatever it is, let's, uh, you built a, a rocking horse from wood. Most people do not have that job. That's usually like a hobby. Most people's job is you push papers from this desk to that desk, or you turn this wrench, or you pull this lever on this machine 8,000 times a day, or you don't ever really see something built with your own hands or something that you've completed from beginning to end. And I think that really screws with a lot of people because there's a lot of satisfaction in that and a lot of sort of mental... I don't want to say mental health, but a lot of mental satisfaction with doing that, with uh, starting from nothing and building this thing and finishing that task in completion. And I think no, they've done brain scans. They've done brain scans. That's uh, super stimulating neurologically. It really is. Just wanted to right. point that out. So now think about how many people lack that in their own lives. They work at some corporate job or they work in a factory where they pull the same lever over and over again. And they don't ever really see something that they've built from start to finish with their own hands. Now, think about if you extrapolate that out, if everybody has that sort of dissatisfaction and also that sort of scarcity mindset, think about the, the ramifications of that over all of society. If everyone is like that, it's going to have a lot of like sort of, uh, I don't want to say sickness, but it's going to have a lot of like uh, cultural ramifications. And it's going to have a lot of detrimental ramifications for all of us. But so if every now reverse that. So say we 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 reverse that. So now people are the goods are more abundant because we are taking production in our own hands. And now people are more satisfied because they are creating things with their own two hands or creating tasks from beginning to completion. And people are just generally more satisfied on the aggregate. Think about the the vast difference that can make societally, like in terms just in terms of like mental health or people's well uh, mental well being. And if everybody's sort of in a better place um, mentally because they have that sort of satisfaction, that is beneficial to me because it's a much more healthy society for me to live in. And things okay, are yes. more more abundant for me you know what i mean so this is this is all about my self-interest this entire argument is this is going to be a better better world for me and also a better world for everybody involved because everyone will be out of that scarce scarcity mindset and everyone will be much more in a better place mentally because they are um you know doing things for themselves sorry Rand, yeah, yeah. Rand over. But uh, I listen, and this is uh, this is like an overused thing from the anti-capitalist left. Um, but it's very much right. Is it is it the, like the status capitalist system, or whatever you want to call it? It does keep us in. And not only would it is it those things that you're describing beneficial, and th this alienation, like 
deprives us from that kind of like positive stimulation. But like the the precariousness we're all made to feel, no matter what our income, no matter what our income is, we're always, if some reason, in this state of precariousness. And yes, we do have the choices to kind of try to remove ourselves from that. But this precariousness, this precarity, I don't know, this being this state of being in this like economically precarious situation where you're just, you know, a few missed paychecks or something happens and you lose your job and now you're economically screwed because you have this mortgage going, all these bills and and everything. And the, the, the years your economic security is so dependent on you, you continuing in your own kind of, you know, position in, in your company and you can, all these things lining up and anything that could rock the boat that could jeopardize that could just pull the rug right out from under you. And not to mention people that literally are living paycheck to paycheck, like so much of this country is it's, it's a method of control. Of course, I th that's a theory that I totally buy, but also the, the argument that I was saying is kind of an overused argument, but it's very true is that's incredibly stressful and incredibly damaging on people's mental health. So you've got, a, you've got something that's dam actively damaging and you've got something that's act that you're actually being deprived of that's super stimulating for people's minds. Exactly right. And um, it's all by design. I mean, quite frankly, if you can keep your subjects stressed out, if you can keep your subjects uh, terrified about about their precarious uh, perching of their financial uh, whatever, if if it's if it's so dependent on paycheck to paycheck, um, I think if you keep your subjects stressed out, uh, worried about the next thing, desperate. Uh, in like a state of panic, we all know that that people do not uh, they do not perform well um, when high doses of cortisol is in is in their bloodstream from stress. Um, it, it feeds sickness, which one can argue is part of the establishment with the hijacking of healthcare, especially with COVID. Uh, so it keeps you ill. It keeps you reckless. It keeps you dependent and subservient and quiet because you don't dare make a sound if your whole existence is dependent on this next paycheck or your whole existence is dependent on whatever next catastrophe is, is next on the horizon. And that's exactly what they want. They want these people that are quiet, that are erratic, that are mass consumers because um, they, they're they're terrified, you know. They're they're, they're stocking up on four hundred thousand rolls of toilet paper because I don't know what's going to happen. These these people are really kind of perpetuating exactly what the government wants and the system and, and the establishment, whatever you call them. And so it's all by design. Keep them stressed out. Keep them dependent. Keep them quiet. And when you've never been a part of that system, you observe it and you kind of, you're like, Jesus guys, you know, like, you know, you can do this shit on your own. And so you just kind of like, un, un, like just watch it unfold. And, and you're just kind of like, man, I have to do something. I, I can't let these people keep doing this. Like I, I can tell them that there's a way out. And my kiddos school, like the co-op, the, the Republicans and whatever that are in this, 
better in the schools. They decided to homeschool their kids again, even though they didn't have to. Uh, they decided to keep doing that because they really like this child's behavior and how well the child is testing. Um, and they're inspired now. They've, they've started a garden last season and it's, it's become a real something this season. And they started doing like uh, bartering with their vegetables. They're, they're growing in their autonomy. And they're still Republicans. They're still kind of waiting for the great man to save them. But in the meantime, they're going to grow their own food and barter. And they're going to buy whole cows and split it up amongst themselves. And uh, that's that's really freaking rad. Yeah, I'll call that a win. Yep. Yeah, and so I think the nice, really, the great thing is is that we can lead by example. We can lead our lives. And we can, we can show people that it's easy because, I mean, we're doing it. And... I mean, I'm I'm not exceptional, really, in any any stretch of the means. I'm just a regular person. Um, but I'm showing you that there's a way. There's a way. There's there's option C. Uh, they don't talk about option C very much, and and you know, option C is kind of behind the curtain a little bit down the hall. But option C is a real place, and option C is kind of like fuck both of you. I'm gonna like like both. You know, the Republicans, the Democrats, the entire system, the regime, as it were, just reject it all and say, you know what, I'm going to be a good human. I'm going to be a good diplomat to humanity. I'm going to be a good community member. I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to feed the homeless. I'm going to do what I'm waiting for some great man to do. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait anymore. And this is beneficial to us for um, and anyone for a multitude of reasons. Number one, you know, you can um, remove yourself from the system and also, um, you know, you, you'll have the immediate material benefits in terms of food or satisfaction, but also you can insulate yourself from uh, the system overall, but also the problems that come along with the system, whether that be government or whether that be hiccups in distribution chains all of these sorts of things and um i think that um i think i'm seeing a general trend towards this which is great you mentioned the republicans trading cows which is awesome yeah but, yeah I'll, I'll take that and um shit i lost where i was going with that um oh you mentioned um you mentioned that you weren't a mutualist, but you do like helping the poor. So I, I see a lot of, um, well, let's, let's take two different types, two different people that this problem could resolve. So one, you have the, um, the sort of voluntarists, right? Who would say that, well, in a free society, people would take care of each other. The problem is I don't see a lot of them do actually going out and doing that. Yeah. So if they would actually go out and do that, like you go out and make sandwiches for the poor and you help them out and you're actually out doing that. Right. So I do a bit of the same and we, we do a bit of the same around here. And if they could go out and actually just do what they say would happen, it they would could, it would be huge because they would build up community. They would um, prove their ideas they would um, make these people um, less dependent on the state and more dependent on, well, more um, involved with community rather than the state and that sort of thing. 
But even take the people that, um, let's say, that uh, um, believe in state power, but also want to help the poor. So if you just take it from like a very, you know, um, strict utilitarian sense, um, if they had spent uh, the same amount of energy and time, money, effort, all that sort of thing they do to actually uh, to, to try to get the government to go do something for the poor or the homeless, if they had spent that same amount of time and just gone and made sandwiches, they would have had way more effects immediately for a lot less effort if they had just gone and made sandwiches and, hang, and, and handed them out or go help some homeless people fill out a resume or take a shower or wh whatever the thing, if they had just gone and done that, it would have taken less effort than it would be to try to get some politician to do it. So, like, we have sort of efficiency on our side here and self-interest on our side that it, it actually takes less effort for us to do this for ourselves than it would to go through, you know, the state, the system. It would take less effort to do it ourselves than it would to go through the government or the corporations or some, you know, organization or NGO um, if we just did it ourselves. And I, and honestly, the people who were good on this were uh, the Black Panthers were awesome on this. They just went and did it. Yeah, I, I've been fortunate to interview them through the magazine, a couple of the surviving members. So I was, oh, cool. I was also very inspired by them. And you're absolutely right. When I interviewed one of them, she told me, her name was Juanita. She told me, start local. If you want to change the world, start in your backyard. And that's exactly why they were so, so efficient at what they did, because that's exactly what they did. They started right there in their neighborhood. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're fine. Well, who who was uh, what what interview was that, and who did you interview? So I was I was fortunate enough to interview two. I was uh, able to interview Juanita, and I, I her last name escapes me. Uh, she was the editor of the Black Panther uh, newspaper. Okay. Um, and so she's a professor now at a college. And uh, she was a great interview. And um, I also got to speak to Lorenzo. And again, I, I, I'm terrible with names. I forgot his last name too. But uh, he also was a, he was one of the only anarchist Black Panthers uh, ever. Uh, and he runs kind of a uh, help people that are innocent, that are in prison, get exonerated type business now. And so they both were really incredible interviews and they were very kind of telling to me about how the system could kind of infiltrate a really great movement and turn it into kind of a something puppy. else. Yeah, something else. Uh, and so Juanita was one of those people that uh, I, I really admired her from, from her work being the editor of the Black Panther mag uh, newspaper. However, she was very, uh, very democratic. Uh, today. Uh, and she wasn't before, but, you know, she was very honest about, you know, they pay her. And um, so I think it's, it's very telling to know that um, things are not always what they seem and things change. And I think what we can do is we can learn from them uh, and learn kind of their methodology back then and uh, just kind of take away from it. Um, but yeah, starting local is 
is exactly the key, I think. Yeah, I'm super stoked that you mentioned the Panthers because they seem to be they're they're absolutely legendary as far as like American kind of left and between there's people that but people that really want to focus on like praxis and what you, as far as they're one of the only real examples of like a a successful implementation of this kind of um localist these kind of localist ideas at least in like recent memory and here in the states and of course you know you know because of course you got people basically from the states and english-speaking people kind of in our own little bubble because we can communicate and really, it's always comes back to the Panthers, the Panthers, the Panthers. You got to be like the Panthers. And um, but you, you you don't see a lot of other examples of that. And you see, like you said, you see um, then that's then opens them themselves up to be a target. Because the other thing they're famous for is that they were basically infiltrated and taken down. And a lot of those um, organizations that were similar, there were other organizations that came up came around around the same time they were doing like school lunch programs and just kind of local mutual aid stuff and uh, uh, offering protection, you know, so kind of protection agency oriented stuff. And those organizations were quickly shot down and targeted, infiltrated, co-opted, all that stuff. And so I don't, I don't know what the answer is for that. Other than well, that no, I mean, does it, that's so what does that tell you? Well, that tells you that, yeah, no, that does tell you, absolutely, they were on to something. But I I can't tell you that, I can't, I can't tell you that, I don't know what lessons exactly to learn, other than be wary and voice of relation. (laughs) They're going to try to do it, obviously, if you have any level of success. So the point is, do what they did, but don't build an organization around it, because that's the answer. Because because they built an organization that organization is now you've gave gave them something to infiltrate. But if you just use their tactics on a very, you know, individual level and their, and their strategies and one of the things that they did, it could be very successful and they were very successful, but because they had this, they were successful. And because they had this organization that gave them something to infiltrate, don't give them something to infiltrate. That's all there is to it. Exactly right. And, and we, we kind of do that too, where, uh, we're decentralized also. So, so we understand that if there's, if there's a place that can be taken down, rest assured it will. But, uh, if we can keep it decentralized, kind of keep our own writers kind of anonymous, doing their own thing and just kind of anonymously submitting their content, uh, then we keep it decentralized. There is exactly right. No organization to infiltrate. It's just a collective. It's just this like collective, but it started locally. And I think that's, that's key for a lot of the doing. Uh, yeah. Based. Um, yeah. Okay. So we are, I think I'm sure, pretty sure this episode is going to top even Silas's episode. Oh, as, man. Uh, which was, what's the, which yeah, was like we a uh, good, Good deal, our longest. Yeah. yeah. Well, one, more thing and then, one more thing, and then we'll it's been wrap. It's so natural, too. It's great. Yeah, go ahead. So, when, when we had your business partner, Silas, on, um, we were talking about sort of agorist delivery systems. And we also mentioned um, sort of agorist delivery systems of people. Now, you had an idea in that regard. Is that is that something you want to talk about? I have some experience with uh, supply chain. 
I have some okay. experience with uh, with kind of organizing kind of a subsystem without using you know that the mainstream means for delivery. So I think that's that's kind of how Silas and I connected was um, we were talking about um, kind of I I had just interviewed the Black Panthers uh, that that week or that month. And I was so inspired to start locally because my supply chain experience is overseas. And so I'd never thought about starting locally. I thought it would be really, really easy to start locally. And it's been anything but. Um, so Silas and I linked up because we had the same vision for kind of, kind of having a supply chain here. Uh, in the states, not so much globally, but locally, and um, we've had a lot of really, really great ideas, um, but we're just having some issue with with people that are on board to execute. We just don't have the numbers yet, but um, uh, yeah. So you sort of created an underground railroad, right? Yeah, so what I had done globally is I had set up a network of, it varied between, you know, and it varied different people too. It would be kind of a revolving door of people. But it was basically an underground supply chain um, to get supplies, medicine, um, whatever, to Syria and to Palestine. Um, both of those countries are kind of, they're in a bad way. And I have some personal ties to Palestine. And through Palestine, I ended up acquiring some personal ties to Syria. Uh, and so um, I've been very fortunate to have firsthand experience with both of those places. And it inspired me to be the change, right? Like instead of waiting for some great man to help these people, I'm going to be as great as I can be and try and help these people. But as you know, it's very difficult to ship if it's possible at all. I know Syria was completely shut down with receiving um, deliveries of any kind uh, in or out of the country. Um, so it's next to impossible trying to get aid to people. And um, I, I have very personal ties in Syria. I want to see these people um, do well. They're my family. And um, it pains me that they don't have what they need. And so every chance that I get, um, I would send um, supplies. And to do that, you have to be very creative and you have to kind of go underground um, in a sense, like the Underground Railroad. So we had um, people, um, several people, a lot of the time they would be anonymous people. Um, and it would be people that were relatives of people that, that, uh, wanted to help. Um, often with Palestine, oddly enough, um, anybody wanted to help. I actually had part of a supply chain that would fund part of this from uh, New Zealand. So um, just all over the world. And so what you do is you, you um, if, uh, if Johnny is going to uh, Florida, then, then from Florida, maybe Anne is going over to France. Uh, Johnny goes to Florida and passes uh, her a package of, of diapers or whatever. And so she throws that in her suitcase. She goes to France. She meets up with uh, uh, her best friend's roommate's cousin. 
uh, as it would turn out. Sometimes it would be kind of that just random and they would pass the diapers and it would go through this network and maybe that person would fly then to uh, uh, or take a train uh, to Germany and from Germany maybe they would go to Hungary and they'd pass it along and so through that kind of chain of people uh, we ended up getting supplies uh, to a place that is impossible if you ask anybody else to get supplies to and we made a really pretty decent impact for a couple of years before uh, we kind of you know I kind of changed directions and kind of tried to focus locally where I met Silas and so we kind of had a couple ideas um, on communication and um, how to kind of uh, use uh, different communication methods to kind of help people. I kind of was uh, in the mindset of maybe using the state's resources like traffic cameras to kind of use to our advantage and still kind of stay anonymous. Um, but we've explored lots of different options and, and really we came into just people that are already on the road on the move and how easy it would be if they just kind of picked up something and, and we've actually demonstrated this a couple of times in real life. I'm proud to say that um, there were a bunch of backpacks I believe in Michigan that were donated uh, and there was one of our friends down in Texas that had a place for the backpacks to go and so we had one uh, one of our van artists pick up the backpack, something like 75 backpacks or something, and deliver it down to Texas, and those backpacks were donated to kids in Texas from Michigan. We did that overnight. And um, how cool would it be if we could actually help people? Um, it, it doesn't have to be like, you know, like, uh, like a fugitive type situation. It can be just, you know, like, shit, there's no fucking jobs here. I want to see what's you know, my, my cousin lives in California. I just can't get there. You know, if you're going to California, like, take them with you. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, like, totally, like, smuggling drugs. Like, we're not asking anybody to do that. We're not asking anybody to do anything that, that, that's not necessarily legal. I mean, I actually have no idea, but legal or not, I just think that's kind of dumb to be. That's my favorite kind of gray market. I, I don't even know. But, you yeah, know. I, I, I have no idea. But it probably but, is illegal in some way, but I, I guess I guess it depends. I mean, uh, they can stretch anything and mold anything to be anything. So uh, you know, like I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I want to butt in, Dharma. I want to butt in. I thought this was an anachronism, but I'm I'm starting on slowly getting my way through Carl Hess's um, Neighborhood Power, which I think is even less known than Community Technology. And I thought it was an anachronism, but yeah, a lot of what he mentions is like net is networking. And keep in mind, he doesn't he doesn't have the concept of the internet. Although there are com early computers involved, but like one of the things that your net the communities can network for is a ride in and out of town. And I'm like, yeah, that probably was a big deal when less people had cars. But like, yeah, you still you still kind of need that. And um, it's funny that you're bringing it up because I, that's exactly what he keeps mentioning. And um, trying to bring people together in addition to like trade and barter and stuff like you mentioned. This is the first episode where I I, I had a, like a slight fear for a second that we were going to get drone bombed or like hit by the IDF or something. Like that, that thought popped <laughs> in my head. So congratulations. You're the first uh, guest, I think, that uh, made me concerned that Mossad was going to come knocking <laughs> on my door or something. 
Uh, well, anytime, anytime. I'm happy I could uh, bring a little excitement to your life. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, so, um, why do you think, okay, so how do we translate what you were doing overseas? Why do you think there's uh, more trouble here than there, than there was overseas? Is it because of desperation and necessity overseas? You know, like, so people are desperate there. They're more yeah. willing to take more risk. Yeah. Or I think, I think that's a big part of it. I think a big uh, part of it is because there there's no option. There there is no great man coming, and they all fucking know it. And so I think a good part of it is they're no longer comfortable, you know. And um, maybe their families that that live in the states, the few people that were able to get out when they did. Because you can't get out now either. It's not even just supplies getting in and out of Syria. It's actual people, too, that are trying to get out. And um, I think the people that live in the States, uh, they're so, they're so, they're, their culture is so different than ours. And so their culture, like, family is number one. Like, you do everything for your family, like, at all costs. You will do whatever it takes for your family. And that includes your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your children. You will do anything for your family. And so these people are probably sending God knows how much money of their own money over there. And so when someone else steps up to say, hey, I, I, I see you. I, I hear you. I know that there's a need and I'm coming to stand with you and I'm here to help you. And I think that alone is massive to make people not feel alone. Agreed. And I, I think, um, I think what you're trying to do, and we talked about this a little bit with in the episode with Silas, but I think building that here is the logical and necessary next step. I don't, I don't see any way forward without having those sorts of things in place and they already exist. I mean, people are running guns and drugs all over this country. They already exist. We just have to build them for our own, uh, our own means and our own method with our own methods. But, um, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are already trying to exist and insulate outside of the system or insulate themselves from the system. And I think networks between those is, um, a necessary next step. In yeah, building, absolutely. yes, yeah. yeah. So I, I commend yeah, you. And the that. transaction cost. Two, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, the transaction costs are too high right now, and the in the risk that's risks in this, that are translated into, into cost too high for people operating in kind of like uh, a black market situation. But even in a situation where you're doing a, a lot of stuff, um purposefully outside the system for ideological purposes, which is just the same as pay basically, you know, obviously breaking the law and attracting this uh attention of law enforcement. I mean if you're if you're if you're doing yeah. something on this kind of ideological basis, then but also attract the attention of the powers that be, so to speak. So um I'm trying to lose my sorry. So yeah, yeah. So then so yeah, then the transaction costs for like moving drugs, for example, would be like, uh, you know, only incentivize these really highly violent organizations, really high prices and so on and so on and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, 
it's, it's just the same. It, it translates over. It's the same for us. It's like we we gotta we gotta meet people that are interested in A. People that want to trade that for B. We want people that need to ride with people that, which is what all, all Uber does. People that want to ride with people with an extra time on the hands in a vehicle to give the ride. Well, um, how how do you do that? And, and here's a little hint. Here's a little hint. Um, there's not a bunch of profit in it, and Uber's never going to be profitable. So you're not there's no competition from the corporate sphere you know if, if you actually look at that it, it's not like someone's going to come up some corporation is going to go and dominate this kind of thing and somehow have some effect on this even though this is gray market um gray market activity um no this is just basically um i mean craigslist but even craigslist started out it's just craigslist of classified ads and stuff so um you know Obviously, there's always going to be potential opposition from the state, and, you know, stuff with uh, back page and everything. But, you know, from a simple economic sense, all we're doing is kind of reducing uh, the transaction costs, a- acting as a kind of a, like a frictionless middleman that, um, I mean, you might have to, you know, charge m- some money for some services, obviously, to, co- to cover costs, you know, and to um, make this a, a doable project. But yeah, I, it's, it's, it's all about just bringing together kind of like supply and demand something. Somebody wants something, somebody wants to trade with them for something else. And I mean, it's beautiful. Well, I'm in and I'll help how I can. Cause I, I see the necessity for this. So yeah, it's, it's important. It's important because we are huge, you know, we are a huge nation and, and we never really had this problem as a nation before. Uh, because as we grew, kind of, we were more community oriented back, back in the day when the family unit was more kind of, um, held, you know, farms were a thing and people living on the farms were a thing and people educated themselves on their own farms was a thing. And, and so when that happened, they had their own way of bartering within neighboring communities. But now we're so isolated thanks to just kind of the system and, and how, how we do things. Uh, we're so isolated that, that we really don't have a good network. And the United States is massive. I mean, it's, it's thousands and thousands of miles. And, um, there are things that are really great, uh, that we want to barter with. Like your famous freaking pickles I want to try. Like I'm all the way in Colorado. It would be really rad if I could grab some pickles and, and some yak meat from, uh, Oregon. Like that's another, like that's, equidistant from me i think so i'm like smack dab in the middle from two really things that i really want to eat so i think a way to connect with with one another is huge and we're not asking again we're not asking for everybody to assume the type of risk that silas is willing to take or that i'm willing to take uh we're not asking anybody to take those risks we're just asking them hey are you going this way because my homies going that way too. Or I have a whole bunch of fucking pickles or God knows how many zucchini from Bob the Builder next door. Could you take them and inundate the East Coast with our zucchini and pick up some pickles while you're out there and bring them back west? That's all we're asking, at least to start. <laughs> and uh, handle the complicated, sticky stuff. We'll handle that. <laughs> but we're just looking for people. We're just looking for community. We're not asking you to shell out all of your money. We're not asking you to, to donate half a paycheck to this cause. 
we're just asking that maybe you open up maybe a part of your trunk or a passenger seat. <laughs> I know it seems really simple and it seems doable, right? but it just kind of just takes doing it to get it started, you know. It takes doing it, but I also I also want to just say just real quick that we also vet people that need help, right? So so some deranged psychopath that wants to like moonlight in Austin from Minnesota, we're not just gonna patch him up with some car, right? Like we're not retarded. So we vet these people, right? So like, if we don't know you, if we don't really get a good vibe from you, good chance we're probably not going to help you. But if you're if you're a genuine individual that really needs help, that that we know you're a bona fide person, you know, you're a humanitarian in your own right, you know, even if you're just a lonely hermit, you're a good guy, right? We're still not going to part you up with the single mom that's going down to visit her mom down in Texas by herself. Like we're we're not we're not going to partner that up. We're going to make smart decisions. But again, we just need people, you know, because there's only a couple of us, and uh, the United States is a big place. So even if we broke it out into zones, like I'd be happy to deliver things here in Colorado. So, you know, if you got a friend in Denver, yo, like, let me know. I can I can deliver stuff to Denver or whatever, you know. We just need that community mind that it doesn't have to be your community, but, but doing something for the greater good instead of waiting for the great man. You can still wait for the great man, but do something great in the meantime. Well said. Well said. Hey, we got to wrap this up, but... Um... It's been a, a pleasure having you on. Why don't you plug all your things? And uh, I got to go do the fam thing. But um, plug uh, Dharma, why don't you plug where we can find you and your um, website and that sort of thing? Yeah. So you can find us at rtamagazine.com. So uh, RTA, Road to Autonomy Magazine.com. Uh, check us out. You can also go to Flip Snack dot com forward slash road to autonomy and get all of our issues that have uh, come out previously uh, become a subscriber and get the issue delivered to your email box once a month we don't even spam you you'll just get an email from us once a month and uh, check out our content our website is chock full of tips and tricks on how to better become autonomous Awesome. Yeah, thank you so, so much for coming on. Uh, we, we've obviously had a blast because we've been recording for so long and it's just been such a great conversation. And I just want to mirror what Sex said that I am totally on board. You did a good job selling it. I'm totally on board. And uh, I definitely like to be involved. So please keep in touch um, with us and, of course, the, the podcast. Sounds I've seen your Twitter. So uh, I'm on the Twitter. So I'm, gonna, I'm about to shout you out. And, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you guys so much for spending some time with me. Thank you. Thank you, Dharma. See you later. Take care. Have a great day.